All right, I thought I would start out talking uh, talking a little bit about the gospel, and I'm going to read <coughs> out of 1 John. Out of 1 John. 1 John is a book that I love, 1 John. Uh, it used to scare me to death when I read it. Uh, 1 John is one of those books, when you, if you don't know what it's talking about when you read it, you think you're lost. <laughs> <laughs> you go, oh, I don't think I'm a Christian. That's the way that I used to read 1 John, and that's part of what caused me to want to do a study on it. And I did a study a few years back on it, dove in deep on it, and I've since taught the entire book. And um, I think it's a wonderful book, because really what this is dealing with is the love of God. It, 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 it's the love of God and the love for God. It's a book of love, really. That's what we're dealing with in the, in the book of 1 John. So I just want to talk reading in... Um, Chapter 5, I'm going to start in verse 5, and I'm going to read through verse 12 First 1 John. <clears throat> he who is the one who overcomes the world, or I'm sorry, who is the one who overcomes the world, but he who believes that Jesus is the Son of God. This is the one who came by water and blood, Jesus Christ, not with the water only, but with the water and with the blood. It is the Spirit who testifies, because the Spirit is the truth. For there are three that testify, the Spirit, and the water, and the blood, and the three are in agreement. If we receive the testimony of men, the testimony of God is greater. For the testimony of God is this, that He has testified concerning His Son, the one who believes in the Son of God, has the testimony in Himself, the one who does not believe God has made him a liar because he has not believed in the testimony that God has given concerning his son. And the testimony is this, that God has given us eternal life, and this life is in his son. He who has the son has the life. He who does not have the son of God does not have the life. This is really, how many times does this word testify show up? This is really showing us what a testimony really is. I think it's confused in the church today. People say, give me your testimony. But a testimony really isn't about us. A testimony is about Jesus Christ. It's about what he has done. And we can, we can use our story um, in that, but ultimately... A testimony has to be about Jesus, and that's what this is talking about. It's giving us the gospel, and this is talking about overcoming the world and how that we overcome the world. And it's simple. It's the one who believes that Jesus is the Son of God. <laughs> Jesus is the Son of God. This is how that we overcome the world. And then we can get deeper in, into that and say, well, what does it really mean to believe, right? What does it mean to believe in Jesus? It's something that's far beyond just believing in Jesus, like we believe in Abraham Lincoln or like we believe in George Washington. That's a, it's a different type of belief, right? It's a, it's a belief unto salvation that we believe that Jesus truly is God. And if we really believe that he truly is God, we have to believe that this book is entirely written of God. And every single word of it is the way that we should live our lives and understand how that we are to be saved. And it's only through this word of God that we can understand this. This is true belief. If we believe in Jesus, we believe what he says.
We believe that the only way that we can have eternal life is through His blood, and there's no way that we can earn it. We have to believe that through Jesus Christ, going to the cross and dying was the way that we avoided the wrath of God being poured out upon us. Instead, it was poured out upon Jesus Christ whenever He was on the cross, and his, all of our sins was imputed to Him, and His perfect righteousness and holiness imputed to us. And this just goes on talking about this testimony, you know, this testimony of God. The testimony of God is greater than the testimony of men, this is talking about here, for the testimony of God is that He has testified concerning His Son. This is a testimony, right? This is a testimony concerning Jesus Christ. The one who believes in the, in the Son of God has the testimony in himself. Has the, the testimony of God. So in other words, we have the gospel. We can testify what it is that Jesus Christ has done, what he's done in our lives, but ultimately what he's done for mankind, right? What he's done for mankind. How that we can become part of the family of God. He says, God has given us eternal life. The only way that we can have eternal life is through Jesus Christ. And this life is in His Son. He, was, he, he who has the Son has life, but he who does not have the Son of God does not have life. This is very eye-opening and uh, such an amazing gift that we have been given life through Jesus Christ, being in Jesus Christ. We talked last week as we were going through the love of God about how that God so much loves Jesus Christ that whenever we are in Jesus Christ, that's why that we have a greater love of God because he has such a magnificent love for his son. And so it is a greater love that Christians are, are given and bestowed from God himself than the world. Not to say that God doesn't love the world because he does, but we learned last week that he loves us in a greater way. And that's something that's absolutely amazing. And that's what we've been talking about is the love of God. The love of God. So <clears throat> we went through last week and talked about what agape love is and how that it, it's the highest form of love. And it's really a love that can only be given by God himself because it's a sacrificial love to the point to where you're willing to give your life for people you don't even know. That's an agape love, like a missionary would go and give their life for, for people to die so that the gospel could be given to people who desperately need it. And then we talked about how that God's love is a holy love. And we talked about that word holy and how that that just means set apart. It means different. It means other. It means pure. And all of these things, we can see that his all of these attributes are perfectly tied together. And so the love of God is a other type of love, a pure type of love, something that we all can uh, be image bearers of and participate in to a lesser degree. And then we talked about how that God's love was first within the Trinity, how that he was perfectly united God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit, all throughout eternity, perfectly united together. They're not lacking anything. They're, they didn't need to create man in order to, to be able to uh, feel 
like that they needed to be fulfilled in some way through their creation. Uh, but rather, their love, God's love is so great that it spills out or pours out upon His creation. And that's why that He created us, so that we could receive all of these amazing and wonderful gifts that God is, right? And love is, is one of the ones that we so much appreciate and love. We also talked about a bad view of uh, penal substitutionary atonement and how the, here recently that has been really attacked. Uh, it started in the 1500s, early 1600s, and um, since then it seems to have uh, become pretty prevalent to where that people say, well, Jesus, he didn't, you know, it would be child abuse if, if God sent his one and only son to die because he was perfectly innocent and but we went through and, and shown how that that was a false view that penal substitutionary atonement is something that is biblical um, I've been teaching the kids the historical theology and you can go back and even read the church fathers back in the 300s talking about penal substitutionary atonement I mean it's it's not a new doctrine but a lot of these guys try to try to say that but we've been that's one of the things that we talked about last week. And I think we got, we got over to how that um, God's love is undeserved. And that's where we're at. We're on page 158. Page 158. God's love is undeserved. So we got a verse here. 1 John 4.10 says, In this is love, not that we loved God, but that He loved us and sent His Son to be the propitiation for our sins. That, that doesn't sound like a love that is deserved, right? So again, we're talking about agape love. Um, the world sees love differently. It, see, it sees love as something that is earned, something that has to be sustained, something that has to be kept, something that is really, in the ultimate sense, selfish. You can fall in and out of love. You know, according to Walt Disney and other TV shows, there's so many different different views of that. People get divorced because they say, "Well, I I stop I I don't stop loving you somewhere along the way." They don't really understand what love is, right? That's something that that is so far beyond just a feeling or an emotion. So, if we deserved God's love, then it really wouldn't be love, would it? It wouldn't really be love. So God's love is undeserved. Um, not that we loved God, but that He loved us. He loved us enough to send His Son to be a propitiation or to satisfy the wrath of God for our sins. Over on 159 it says, God's love is not based on lovability. Aren't you glad of that? <laughs> Uh, I know all of us have times that we're probably not very lovable. And there's been times in our lives I know that, um, that I haven't been very lovable. We can easily understand being drawn to someone who's lovely, but God loved us when we were His enemies. We weren't lovely. He loved us even though we raised our fist in treason against him. He still loved us enough to come and die for us. We weren't lovely. 
God hates sin, and he also hates the sinner. I, I hate when people say the opposite of that, right? What does people say? Yeah, that's not true. That's not true. <clears throat> he chose to love us. He he loves us because of the blood of Jesus Christ, because we are in Jesus Christ. Romans 5, 8 says, But God demonstrates his own love toward us in that while we were yet sinners, while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. I've got a point here. I've heard heretics make this statement. God bankrupted heaven because you are so valuable. And I got a question here. It says, why is this an incorrect statement? These are, this is a direct quote, by the way, by a guy, a guy named Todd White. If you guys ever heard of Todd White, <laughs> he is a notorious heretic, and he is one of the guys that the first American gospel goes after. He's the guy that's got the long hair, you know, the dreadlocks, and right. gross people's feet, you know, out yeah. on the street, all that kind of thing. He's very weird. He's very strange. <laughs> this is a direct quote from him. I heard him say this on the news, and it gave me chills. And then, ever, and then since then, because I said, no way. And ever since then, there's been a lot of articles written about this. But why is this an incorrect statement? Why is it an incorrect statement that says God bankrupted heaven because you are so valuable? What do you guys think? Well, we're not so valuable. God doesn't need us. And he didn't bankrupt heaven. That's right. Thank you. That's right. The only value we have is after we are believers. There's, there's no other value for us. Yeah. You know? Yeah. The focus is on the wrong object, isn't it? It's on us. God's the one that's valuable. Right? God's the one that's valuable. He's the object of our focus of our adoration of our worship of our praise it's not because we are so valuable right so really it's it kind of brings me to the thought about satan and what happened in heaven yeah you know Pride. he thought he was that's right that's right you know it makes man way too big and god way too small to say that we could bankrupt heaven yeah yeah, he's so transcendent. I mean, yeah. Even when, when uh, the sacrifice was being made, he was still God. That's right. There was never a time when he was like, "Oh, I'm so poor. I've given up everything because you're so bad." <laughs> <laughs> yeah, and we've talked in this class many times about how he never left heaven. <laughs> right? Kind of like what Nikki just said. He's omnipresent. He was truly God. At the same time that he was truly man, he didn't bankrupt heaven. He it, nothing changed in heaven, you know. So that's another good point. God loved us while we were enemies. That's what the Bible says. Not that because we were so valuable, not because we loved him first. While we were enemies, while we were enemies, God loved us. This really shows His great attribute of love. This shows. 
who he is, right? It shows who he is, and it, it, the focus is on him, not on us. It shows his great worth and not our great worth. It shows how valuable he is <laughs> that he would love an enemy so much that he would and come and die back for to us. what you were saying about First John about about belief because the belief itself is from God. That's right. We have no ability <coughs> to even right. believe. Yep. So you're right. So we can see here that God's love is undeserved. It's not that we're so valuable and we deserve it. Right? It's not that we're this, you know, precious ruby that God had to send his son to to, to retrieve. No, it's it's much more tragic than that, isn't it? It's it's much deeper than that. Uh, it's much richer than that. It really cheapens God's love. All of these views, when you like we said last week, some of these views, people think it magnifies God's love, but it really cheapens God's love. It really does. Well, with, you know what you were talking about. You know, a lot of. People think God loves everyone, and you know, God. <laughs> and you look at the world, and you're like, really? With all the stuff that people are doing, do you think God is loving that? Yeah. But people have this attitude that that God is love, and that's all He is, and that's why they go there. Yeah, you're right. Because that's what they want Him to be. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> they're they're banking on Him turning on the curve. Mm. Exactly. Mm. <laughs> that's true. That's very true. You guys know that I was at my mother's funeral last week, and oh. um, and the preacher preached her funeral, and and he, you know he did okay, but he said one thing that really bothered me. He said that that God loves you unconditionally, and when he said that, he gave me a little bit of a squirm right there in the uh, in my mom's funeral. What's wrong with that? What's wrong with saying God loves you unconditionally? What do you guys think? There's a condition. There is a condition. There is a condition. I'm glad you were able to do that. I'm going to my mom's this Mm. Friday. Mm. I mean, Saturday, yeah. So, Mm. I don't even know if I'm going to be able to listen to what he says, but maybe I should listen to what he says. Because yeah. if he says something wrong, I need to correct him. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Bluetooth speaker in the coffin. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry, too soon. <laughs> well, I, th- I think it's really important, though, because you have the gift of discernment. And yep. when you hear those things, there's people that hear those things and they think, Oh, well, I'm okay then. Right. I don't have to worry about anything. That's exactly right. And it's just such a lie. That's my point, yep. That's universalism. It is, If you say God loves you unconditionally, then you have to be a universalist. So I disagreed with that. The rest of it was okay. (laughs) So the next point here is God's love is sacrificial. God's love is sacrificial. True love costs. (laughs) 
This is, I think we all can understand this. True love costs. And I've got some verses here. Who wants to read John 3.16? Or who just wants to quote it? You guys don't even have to read this. What's John 3.16 say? God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son, that whosoever believeth in him shall not perish, but have eternal life. Very good. Very good. Yeah, this is a sacrificial love that he gave his only begotten son. This is um, an amazing, an amazing thing. Ephesians 5.25. What is, who wants to read Ephesians 5.25? I think the only husband in the room probably doesn't want to read. (laughs) Husbands love your wives just as Christ also loved the church and gave himself up for her. Mm. Sacrificial love. This is um, calling for husbands to do the same, to love their wives in a sacrificial way, just as Jesus Christ gave himself, his life, for us. Isaiah 53, 4 through 12. I'm going to read this one. It's a little bit longer. Surely our griefs he himself bore and our sorrows he carried, yet we ourselves esteemed him stricken, smitten of God, and afflicted. But he was pierced through for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. The chastening of our well-being fell upon him. And by his scourging we are healed. All of us like sheep have gone astray. Each of us have turned to his own way. But the Lord has caused the iniquity of us all to fall on him. He was oppressed and he was afflicted. Yet he did not open his mouth like a lamb that is led to the slaughter and like a sheep that is silent before its shears. He did not open his mouth, but oppression and judgment, he was taken away. And as for his generation, who considered that he was cut off out of the land of the living for the transgression of my people, to whom the stroke was due, his grave was assigned with wicked men, yet he he was with a rich man in his death, but he had done no violence, nor was there any deceit in his mouth, but the Lord was pleased to crush him, putting him to grief. If he would render himself as a guilty offering, he will see his offspring. He will prolong his days, and the good pleasure of the Lord will prosper in his hand. As a result of the anguish of his soul, he will see it and be satisfied. By his knowledge, the righteous one, my servant, will justify the many as he will bear their iniquities. Therefore, I will allot him a portion with the great, and he will divide the booty with the strong, because he poured out himself to death, and was numbered with the transgressors. Yet he himself bore the sin of many, and interceded for the transgressors. Mm, This is the greatest love ever known. There's never been a, a greater love story than that. There's never been a love that has been poured out on anyone like like this that God himself took on the nature of man came and died in the most extreme kind of way for us that was crushed he was crushed for us become a curse Jesus Christ became a curse for us 
This is absolutely amazing. In verse 11, it talks about the anguish. This is a strong, very, the strongest kind of word. Um, a word that I think is uh, another one of those words that's kind of lost its meaning. His, he had an anguish in his soul. Um, this is something that is, is beyond something difficult, right? This is, this is a, a kind of love. This is God being omniscient, knowing that, that he is going to suffer and endure this kind of, of awful um, death and separation and um, imputation of sin and all these things that co go along with what Jesus endured on the cross. He knew he had to do all this. This was very difficult. But he did it. He did it for us. This is a love that we can't comprehend. This is a love that's so far beyond what we see um, any examples of. This is a, a truly amazing love. Truly amazing love. It's like before we were made, he knew how much sin we were going to be doing. Yeah. That he would have to die for before he made us. Yeah. It's amazing. <coughs> it's amazing. Yep. The next point here says his love had to be sacrificial in order to redeem us for himself. We were too far separated by our sins, lost in our rebellion. Jesus took on the nature of man for the purpose of reconciliation. We've talked about what a sacrifice it was for Jesus to die for us. We've mentioned what a sacrifice it was for Jesus to take on the nature of man. But let's think about that for a moment. So this is something fun to do, I think, is, you know, we know how tragic that the cross was, how, how big of a tragedy that that was. Um, but some people forget to think about what a sacrifice it was for Jesus to take on the nature of man. Just that alone is mind boggling. It, it really is. I, I've, still, I've told the story in this class of... Uh, uh, when I was going through some theological training on on um, this guy, this professor, he was talking about a planet of chihuahuas. Remember that? Like there was a planet of chihuahuas, and um, and G Jesus said, "Well, they've they've committed uh, so much rebellion that the only way that I can save them is to become one of them." And then God, God the Father says, well, not only do you have to become one of them and die, but you have to come, become one of them for all of eternity and die. I mean, so that's something that Jesus Christ took on the nature of man. He was truly man, meaning that he took on an actual body and soul, just like we do, like we are. And so he was literally resurrected from the dead and ascended back to the Father in a bodily form. So now Jesus has taken on a body eternally. Right. Eternally in the, in the body of a man. <clears throat> Just that sacrifice within itself is something that is beyond comprehension, much less all that he had to endure as that man, <coughs> as being truly man. I mean, it was really an amazing sacrifice. Well, and for him to be perfect and come to a world of sin and still be perfect. I mean, 
we look around, we think we're good. If we look around at everybody else and we think, oh, they're all bad or whatever. But he knew each person and what they were able to be capable of. Yeah. And and he was he was still able to have a perfect relationship with every single person that he came in contact with. Yeah. Which it's is amazing. One of the things that I think about too that I'm so grateful for this that he has a, a body is imagine seeing him in heaven what that's going to be like. Yeah. I mean it's going to be so amazing to to see Jesus Christ himself there. Yeah. I mean what a day, right? What a day. That's what I look forward to. Yeah. Right. And keeping the scars. <laughs> yeah. 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 Yeah, amazing. Amazing. The next point says God's love is infinite. God's love is infinite. John 17, 22 through 26. Nikki, you want to read that one? The glory which you have given me, I have given to them, that they may be one, just as we are one, I and them, and you and me, that they may be perfected in unity, so that the world may know that you sent me, and loved them, even as you have loved me. Father, I desire that they also, whom you have given me, be with me where I am, so that they may see my glory, which you have given me. For you loved me before the foundation of the world. O righteous Father, although the world has not known you, yet I have known you. And these have known that you sent me, and I have made your name known to them, and I will make it known, so that the love of God with which you loved me Maybe in them and I in them. Mm. Yeah, this is um, an amazing prayer that Jesus Christ prays here. When he's praying for us, he's praying for us that, that this love that they have, this perfect unity that, that they have within the Godhead, within the Trinity, that we are be able to partake in that unity. I mean, whenever we become children of God, we are partaking in the unity of the Trinity. This is amazing. This is amazing that, that God loves us enough to where we are, are children of God, that we're adopted into His family eternally, forever, eternal life, perfectly united with Jesus Christ. This is amazing. This is amazing kind of love. Jesus prays here that we're united with Him just as He is united with the Father. There's there's no tighter unity than the Trinity. There's nothing tighter than that, right? It's amazing. On 161 it says he prays that we are with him where he is. So this is, um, this is really showing that we're united with Jesus Christ in an eternal way, being united with him eternally. Um, we're also united to one another eternally because we are all part of the same family, which is also something that's amazing. I, I've, I've, I think I talked um, this morning to the youth about how that, that one day that they will probably go to other towns and other cities. But what was so amazing is, is when you go to a, 
another town and you go to a church of people that you don't even know and unfamiliar with how that you have a, you feel united to, to, to certain bodies of Christ the ones that are gospel centered right um, you actually feel um, that unity among people that are strangers whenever you go to places that um, that you that you don't know and are unfamiliar with so this is a this is a, an awesome part of um, of the the great gift of Christianity is that we are united not only to God but to one another. Um, the next point here says it would be pleasing to God for us to see this unity when we see members of the body of Christ. So this is um, I think something that is easy for us to to forget. So I got a question here. Do you think of the people you go to church with as united with this kind of unity? Do you guys? Do you guys see people in this church um, as being united with them for all of eternity? I mean, can you can you picture that with the people in this church that we're going to spend eternity with these people? Have you ever thought about that? Well, we know that's true, but while we're here, we are brothers and sisters. Yeah. And if we don't get that first, you can't stretch that out <laughs> <laughs> yeah if you're not united now you're not right, united. <laughs> right. yeah if yeah. you're not a part of the of the body of Christ right. yeah yeah no, you're right you're right that's uh, the number one thing of being Christian is being united to Jesus and united to people but you're right there's a lot of people that come to church that are not Christians right yeah yeah you're right you're right 1 John 3, 1-2 See how great a love the Father has bestowed on us, that we would be called children of God, and such we are. For this reason the world does not know us, because it did not know Him. Beloved, now we are children of God, and it has not appeared as yet what we will be. We know that when He appears we will be like Him, because we will see Him just as He is. Here, this is a really amazing verse. It talks about how that the Father bestowed this on us. It's not something that we earned. It's not something that we did. It was something that the Father bestowed upon us. And so that's the gospel right there. But that God bestowed this amazing gift of salvation upon us, that we are now united with Him. We are now called children of God. This this gives us some. This gives us some great imagination, I guess, of uh, of trying to of picture what it's going to be like, uh, where it says that that it has not appeared as yet to what we will be. Um, we will be much more obedient children. Yes, <laughs> yes, that's right. That's right, because he gives us a clue here. He says that we, when he appears, we will be like him. I mean, that's um, that's amazing that we're going to be like Jesus Christ. That means that we're going to be without sin. Our sin nature is going to be pulled, stripped from us. Uh, that's the day that we all long long for, that we look forward to, if we're if we're Christians. Uh, the next point here says God's love is unobligated, unobligated. Deuteronomy 7, 7 through 8. Who wants to read these two verses for us? 
I'll read it. Okay. The Lord did not set his love on you nor choose you because you were more in number than any of the peoples, for you were the fewest of all peoples, but because the Lord loved you and kept the oath which he swore to your forefathers, the Lord brought you out by a mighty hand and redeemed you from the house of slavery from the hand of Pharaoh, king of Egypt. Mm. I love this, just showing God's sovereignty, how that he's sovereign, how that he chose certain people. This is talking specifically about the nation of Israel, but this applies to us as well. So this is um, something that shows that it's unobligated. He he chose even though we were unlovely, right? It's easy to love lovely people. It's not so easy to love unlovely people, rebellious people, rebellious creatures, but God loved us. This point here says, there's nothing that we did to earn the love of God. He foreknew us from before the foundation of the earth. In other words, he chose to love us, chose to have a relationship with us before the earth was created. And of course, we know that this comes from Ephesians. It talks about this in Ephesians 1 and in Ephesians 2. And I've got a little bit of that in the next portion here where it talks about God's love is eternal. So God's love is also eternal. He loved us from before the earth was created. Ephesians 1, 4 through 5 says, Just as he chose us in him before the foundation of the world, that we would be holy and blameless before him, in love he predestined us to adoption as sons through Jesus Christ to himself according to the kind intention of his will. <laughs> the kind intention of his will, not ours. So this is, um, this is an amazing, eternal kind of love. We know that whenever that God chose us before he even created this planet, that he... This is a love that is incomprehensible. We talked about what it means to be foreknown by God. And this is really dealing with the foreknowledge of God, that he had a relationship with us before we were even born. A relationship that was special, a relationship that was other, that was holy. Um, this is an, an amazing, eternal kind of love. Jeremiah 31 3 says, The Lord appeared to him for a f from afar, saying, I have loved you, Israel, with an everlasting love. Therefore, I have drawn you with loving kindness. It's just the same thing reflected in the Old Testament that we see in Ephesians in the New Testament. So, the next point here says, This kind of love is unfathomable, that God knew the state of the world and its hatred toward him, yet he still created us. This is uh, the, the thing that I harp on a lot in this class because it's beyond my comprehension or ability to be able to, to comprehend that God loved us before he created us, being omniscient, being sovereign, knowing and fully understanding what it would mean to create us, um, that he would have to suffer in the way that he did, but he still... He still did it. He still created us anyway. It's just, um, I wouldn't do that. Uh, I mean, 
Well, he did wipe us out, almost all of us out. <laughs> well, there's, yeah. Okay. <laughs> but he didn't. I know. But, you know. <laughs> yeah. But one day he will, <laughs> except for those who believe, which is right. amazing. Right. And the last part of this on 162 is the other side of love. God must hate by necessity because he's love. I mean, those these two things really go hand in hand. Love and hate go hand in hand. If you love someone, you would hate anything that would kill or harm them. So I've got a question. It says, how do you feel about those who would harm babies? How do you feel about pedophiles? Of course, th this is a sharp point to try to get the point across of the way that God sees things. I mean, as, as ugly as these things are to us, because these things are some of the ugliest things that we can imagine. Uh, God sees sin period as being just as ugly as we see this right god hates sin and he hates those who would harm those whom belong to him um, just as bad as we would hate someone harming a baby or a child right that's something because we love we have the ability to love it's ne it's necessary that we would hate anything that would cause harm to that which we love, right? That just makes sense. God hates sin. Well, we assume that everybody has that love of children and whatever, but I mean, just in the last month, just hearing on the news, how many people are killing their own kids? It's unreal. Yeah. I mean, it's just, it's really hard to comprehend that people can do that. But yeah. people can do the worst that we can imagine, even. Yeah. Yeah, or even like like this morning, the abortion thing, how that it's amazing that... Now Colorado's mm, become the go-to state. That's right. I know. Well, Colorado's yeah. trying to be that way. Yeah. Yeah. People convince themselves that it's just a clump of cells or whatever, but it's not. Yeah. So yeah, you're right. People people ha can be very evil, and, and but us on the outside, being Christians, we can look at that and we hate that. We hate it that our state has become so popular to kill babies. Mm -hmm. um, so again, this is something that's, that is is necessary. Um, the next point says, God hates sin because sin separates us from God. It is harmful to us and harmful to the relationship that we have with God. And I got a question here. It says, what does Luke 14.26 mean? 14.26 says, if anyone comes to me and does not hate his own father and mother and wife and children and brothers and sisters, yes, and even his own life, he cannot be my disciple. <laughs> That's a hard one, right? What does this mean? What do you guys think? This means that he has to be first. He has to be first. Yeah. It comes to a choice. <coughs> yeah. Rose juice. That's right. That's right. Yeah, we know that God, that Jesus Christ spoke of love more than, than anybody, but here um, he's speaking to something else, right? We are to love Jesus with a higher love than we are anything else. 
So this is a altogether different category, and so this just shows that love and hate really goes hand in hand. In, not to muddy it, but in Hebrew, wasn't there like an idiom of Jacob, I loved Esau, I hated, where you're just talking about your choice. My preference for you is so strong that by comparison, I hate the other. Yeah. Yep. So yeah. I've always thought of that verse in that light. Yeah, that's a good way to, to, to see that. Absolutely. Absolutely. <clears throat> yeah, so this is just... Um, this is just a, another thing for us to to help us to really truly understand how the God loves. Um, he loves us so much, and He hates anything that wants to harm us or harm our relationship with Him. He He hates sin that's in our lives. He hates um, people who um, come against us in in a harmful way. Um, so there's all of these things really go hand in hand in trying to understand the love of God. And of course the love of God is a communicable attribute. You know, we've talked about we talked about incommunicable attributes and we've talked been talking about communicable attributes, those that God has shared with us as being image bearers of Jesus Christ and how that um, that we reflect certain attributes that He's given us and so love can be reflected even from those that are not Christians. You guys have any questions or thoughts on any of that? We got a few questions to go over. We got about 10 minutes, so we could probably go through these real quick. First question says, what are some ways we can practice loving God? What are some ways that we practice loving God? What do you guys think? Worship. Yeah, yeah, worship. Spending time worshiping. And it doesn't just, not just not on Sundays only. That's right. That's right. So in other words, worship is more than just song, huh? Right. Yeah. Yeah, what are some other ways we can practice loving God? Read His Word. Read His Word. Absolutely. Learn about and meditate on His attributes. Yeah. That's right. That's right. What else? Prayer. Well, I think right. loving him means that we're obedient to him. Yeah. That's how we show that we love him. That's right. First John. The whole book. <laughs> You're right. Those are good points, good good answers. The next question says, How does God's love correlate with God's wrath? And I'll put this in there because so many people say that the love of God is his primary attribute. <laughs> And I would say it is—it's not his primary attribute. That it's hard to separate any of his attributes. That they're all perfectly because he's a simple being. Um, they're all equally spilling out from him because he—he—he uh, he, he radiates all of these attributes out from himself. So how does God's love correlate with his wrath? What do you think? It's like up at the top of the page. It goes hand in hand. It goes hand in hand. Yeah, I mean, we can love people, but we really hate what they might be going through, or we hate their behavior. Um, but that doesn't mean that we're not supposed to love them. Yeah. I mean, yeah. And it's it gets really hard. It does. Really hard. 
Um, yeah. We, we know that the best thing we can do is pray for them because only God can fix anyone, not right. us, unfortunately. We're not in charge of other people. Um, That's right. Yeah. Is she going to say something, Steve? I'm trying to think of how to put it into words, but it, it seems like God's wrath is necessary to protect His love. I mean, to protect the holiness of His love and our relationship. You know, and so wrath has to be poured out on sin because it's damaging That's right. to the people He loves and because it's damaging to our potential relationship with Him. That's right. He's so patient. <laughs> he really is. He really is. Oh, yeah. yeah. The next question says, how is it possible for us to love an unlovely person? I know nobody ever has ever dealt with this. the grace of God. <laughs> That's right. The grace of God. Thinking about how God loved us when we were His enemies, completely yeah. unlovely, and yeah. Christ um, saying about His, the people who were cru crucifying Him, Father, forgive them. Yeah. Yeah. You know, so. When I was, um, when me and Nikki was, hadn't been married too long, God really was working on me in loving people uh, he pointed that out early in our marriage that that was something that was missing um, in my life and there's a guy that that came to our church that I, to be honest with you I just couldn't stand him I just he he just rubbed me the wrong way I did, I wanted to avoid him at I mean he just got under my skin you guys ever Oh yeah. No. Oh, oh, none of us. Just you. It's just on you. <laughs> and you know the the strangest thing is, me and Nikki were there was a point where we started looking for another church to go to, and I kid you not, we would go to another church, and he would be there. That's hilarious. And then we would go to another church, and he would be there. And then I would go to a conference or I would go to some, you know, ecumenical type of gathering mm -hmm. and he would be there and he would always sit by me. <laughs> and it was God just teaching me that there has to be a way that to love an unlovely person. And he was teaching me the hard way because it, it, it bothered me, but I knew that God was doing that to me intentionally. I knew what he was trying to teach me. I didn't like it. But I got the point. I got the point. Um, but I, I'll never forget that. I'll never forget that. Um, <clears throat> the next question says, how should the love of God be reflected in marriage? I think there are times for all of us in any relationship, but probably especially in marriage, because our spouses know us like no one else does. You know, yeah. That we have to make a, a conscious choice empowered by the Holy Spirit to submit to one another out of reverence for Christ. Yeah. And, you know, most things are not the big deal that our, our egos or our old natures would like to make of them. And how important is it? Yeah. It's more important that we honor Christ by 
That's right. That's right. Submission is definitely important. Forgiveness is also important. Yeah, that's part of it. I think part of forgiveness is part of submission. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, learning that it's not all about us, right? That's why I'm, I would say the majority of marriages fails is because mm -hmm. of selfishness, right? We're selfish people. I know a man in his 70s whose uh, wife died, and he says that they had a great marriage. Um, and I don't know, you know, probably so. They thought so, then I guess it was. But he had a list of, like, almost like a job description for his next wife of all the qualities that she would have to have. She'd have to be athletic. She'd have to, you know, want to keep the garden and blah, 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 blah. And at some point I said, well, where does the part come in about God using marriage to sanctify us? Because we aren't necessarily always a perfect match. <laughs> you know, I think that's really God's purpose in marriage is to sanctify us and teach us love. Oh yeah, I think so too. We're not supposed to be identical. identical. That's right. That's we couldn't stand that anyway. Exactly. We think we would. Yeah. Yeah. You're right. You're right. That's right. The next question says, how should the love of God be reflected to our children or other relationships? Kind of the same way, isn't it? It's kind of tough there. I had to, had to learn to treat my kids like I would treat someone else, not just because they're my kids. Yeah. Especially the whole tough love thing yeah. that you keep getting thrown at you. Oh, you have to have the tough love, you know. Well, are you going to do that tough love on other people? <laughs> I mean, yeah. yes, you have to be wise and all these other things, but you still have to treat them like you would treat other people. Yeah. Yeah, because sometimes it's easier to be a lot more harsh, isn't uh -huh. it? Yeah. Do you have a lot more expectations? Yeah. 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 That's right. That's right. Yeah, the next question says, how do we love God with our whole hearts? That's a commandment, right? From Jesus. How do we love God with our whole hearts what do you think let me put it another way has there ever been a moment in your life that you think that you've actually loved God with your whole heart sometimes when we get to the bottom <laughs> you know and there's nothing else then yeah that's yeah. that's 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 a tough one that's a tough one, our whole hearts. I mean, that's, there's always, we can always conceive of how that we could love God more in there. I think no matter where we're at, we can always conceive that I can love Him greater. Um, that's, this, is, uh, this is a tricky one. This is one that is a lifelong learning process, right? <laughs> learning how to love God with our, our whole hearts. I don't think we ever really truly get there. It's the thing that we strive to get there. I think we'll get there when we're glorified and there, we no longer have a sin nature. But it's something that we strive for, is we love God. We desperately, that's why we're here in this class, because we're wanting to learn who He is so we can love Him more. The more that we learn who He is, the, more, the better we can love Him, right? That's, that's, uh, that's what's so great about theology. 
how do we love God with our whole souls? I'm just going through the commandment here. I'm breaking this out because sometimes people don't ever think about that. Love the Lord your God with your whole heart, soul, mind. It's good for us to separate these out and think about them. Alright? It's our souls when we allow His Spirit to take over ourself. Yeah. That's right, yeah. We let the Holy Spirit do His work, right? Yeah, that's right, that's right. Walk in the fruit of the Spirit. This one is one that I would say churches are lacking in a lot. How do we love God in with our whole minds? I'll let you guys answer these. <laughs> <laughs> all these questions. I already have my answer, but you guys need to talk too. <laughs> I think knowing um, why we believe what we believe and learning how to articulate that and eventually probably teach others and but to engage the two-pound brain God gave us to know Him as much as we can, and not just emotion, emotion-wise. I went to another church, and it probably be, could be said of a lot of churches, but young adult male told me that, he said, I go into this church my whole life, I learned how to feel about God, but not what to think about it. Mm. Mm. Yeah. People don't like the word necessarily theology, but that's what we're talking about—the knowledge of God. That's right. That's right. You're absolutely right. Yeah, using our minds to actually try to learn, try to comprehend, try to grasp who God is—it's—it's it's hard. It takes work. It takes effort. Studying the Word and and really trying to to understand it, comprehend it—not just an emotion or a heart. You know, it's easy to love God with our whole hearts. It's emotion. Mm -hmm. Until the emotion changes. Yeah, right. until the emotion changes. That's right. But with our minds, you know, even whenever we're hurting, you know, even when things are hard, when things are tough, um, do we know Him? Do we know Him? That's kind of really when we find out what we believe, I think. Yeah. Like Linda was saying. You know. Well, we're supposed to have the mind of Christ. I mean, we're... It says that that is supposed to be our goal, is to have the mind of Christ, so that we see things the way that Jesus sees things. Yeah. And like you say, there's many churches, they don't teach a Christian worldview at all. No. And so, you know, you say, yeah, people get saved and you get the Holy Spirit, but you don't teach people what that means and how, how that affects you on the outside yeah. um, and mm -hmm. it's so so important and that's why our nation is in such a mess because people say they're believers but then they don't connect being a believer to the way that you're supposed to live exactly. yeah that's right yeah that's it's right. tough it's really tough mm. Brandon said it today he said the same thing that I say all the time he said uh, big God little man and that's like you said Steve that's theology that's theology we're learning 
who he is. We're doing a study of God. We want to know who he is. And the more that we know about him, the larger our view is of him, right? And the smaller that our views of ourselves <laughs> are. Uh, we're out of time. We're out of time. There's one more question. In what way was it a sacrifice for Jesus to take on the nature of man other than his crucifixion? We talked about that tonight. It's really interesting how he took on the nature of man and, and he never he never had possessions. You know? Uh, <laughs> and he never had a, a wife, which was really rare yeah. at that mm -hmm. timing, that he gave up all of the things that we want. As people. Right. Yeah, <laughs> yeah that's true. That's true. Yeah, yeah just... And that's that's it, that's it, right? It was a sacrifice for him to be one, become one of us, yeah. <laughs> just to become, just take on that nature. Well, very good, guys. We're out of time. Any other thoughts or questions?